seated. Good morning, Coastal Church. Thank you, worship team. We've got a great high priest in Jesus Christ, don't we? He's always there in a time of need, and, and uh, I, I need every minute here this morning, so I'm going to jump in, okay? Uh, so if you want to turn in your Bible, you can turn with me uh, to 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. That's going to kind of be our jumping off place, Okay. Uh, inside of your bulletin is a handout. Do me a favor, get that out, okay? And follow along with me. That's going to be essential to following up on this sermon. It also helps prepare you for your small group. Um, while you're kind of doing that, uh, this is kind of a public service reminder, okay? This service is always very, very full, and so exiting is difficult, okay? So when we leave, remember there's three ways. I said this last week. There's three ways. You can go out. If you're kind of on this parking lot over here, you can go out around our neighbor's building. Please drive carefully through his stuff uh, and hit the light out there, okay? Out this way, if you go straight out, okay, we're going to usher some of you to go across the, uh, the, the uh, what's that called, a shopping center, okay, and then head you out to Goodwin Neck. Now, it only takes one person to go, no, I'm not going, and the whole thing backs up, okay? So uh, don't be that person, okay? So uh, we're getting you out the same spot. It's just another light, one down over, and same place. So get you out to 17, okay? Everybody with me on the public service announcement? Uh, So we can get you out and uh, get you out to lunch, okay? Uh, I set this sermon up um, last week as maybe... Um, one of the most important sermons I may have ever preached here, and, and, I, and I still believe that. Uh, it's a little bit heady this morning and a little bit nerdy, okay? So um, my fear is I'm going to lose you. Uh, my hope is that if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you will leave equipped uh, a little bit more than when you came in and um, with an understanding that your faith rests on something solid. It's not faith in faith. It's not faith in wishful thinking. It's faith in truth and faith in history and faith in something solid. Okay, so that's my hope. Uh, If you're here this morning and you're investigating the claims of Christ, you're like, man, I'm not sure where I am. My hope is that this will push you and challenge you to do a little more thinking and a little more digging around the Bible uh, and, and, and around religion and determine uh, what is true. That's my hope, okay? Uh, on the back of your handout, I've listed some resources that you can make use of. You really, really need to make use of these other resources because I'm, I'm going to be pr- painting with broad strokes here this morning, and, and I certainly can't cover it all, okay? I want to add one thing to your resource list. I'm so disappointed I didn't have this on there, okay? Uh, I meant to. So I want you to write the name Vody Bacham. Vody spelled V. Not all you're writing. Write this down, all right? This is critical. Write this down. Vodi, V-O-D-I-E, Bacham, B-A-U-C-H-A-M, okay? And uh, he's got a sermon uh, called Why I Choose to Believe the Bible. I actually listened to it after I wrote this, and, man, it's a great supplement. It's, it's better than what I'm about to give you, okay? And, uh, and it's a great supplement. So uh, we've got some books that I'm going to reference here in a minute. Uh, we've got uh, Vodi Bacham's sermon, and I've got a podcast that I'm, that's listed on there by uh, a speaker at our youth camp, okay? Uh, we send our students to a, a camp called Snowbird. It's an incredible camp. They're going in July. Parents, if you have students. We still have slots available, uh, but there's a podcast out of breakout session that covers some of it. And it was really well done. And so we're going to have both of those links on our Facebook page. Okay. So go to Coastal Facebook page and those are some great kind of supplements uh, to today's sermon. I, um, I was encouraged this week. I got invited to speak at crew down at CNU. Any crew people here? 
Yes. All right. Good job, crew. So I think I think I'm coming down if I'm still invited after today. Uh, so I'm coming down in in March, I think. But uh, I was encouraged because they're doing a series very similar to this one. So it encouraged me. Like, wow, these are questions that are being asked in our community, and and uh, they're doing a, a sermon on you know why they believe the Bible, and that's today's sermon. Why? How do you know that you can trust your Bible? Um, and uh, so I was encouraged by that. I, I remember years ago when I graduated high school. I spent a summer in a village uh, in Papua New Guinea. It, it's one of those villages that you kind of see in a National Geographic magazine. I spent eight weeks in New Guinea, six weeks in this particular village called Kiriwa. Um, in fact, if you ever ask the question, you know, if Jesus is the only way to heaven, which we believe is what the Bible teaches, then what about people who've never heard? I mean, do they, have you ever asked that question? Uh, that's one of the topics we're going to cover in Tough Truths, okay? So um, you'll be excited to know that. Uh, I've actually been to one of those villages, actually. I mean, this village was kind of one of those villages the people had never heard. We, uh, we uh, airplaned in on a, a, an airstrip that the missionary cut in. The missionary hiked into this village, cut this airstrip, and, and we got to come as a team. Uh, this village had no running water. Uh, they had no sewage system. So our first thing that we had to do as a team... Uh, so we had to dig our own latrine, and so that's what we did. We dug a hole, you know, we built a latrine. We built, basically, it was a hut, you know, and, and that's what we built for our summer stay there. One of my friends um, took his Bible into the latrine, as if he couldn't have picked another place to read his Bible, right? Uh, but he took his Bible into his latrine, and for some reason, something startled him, which you would go, why did something startle him? Every morning when you went to the latrine, there was snakes and lizards. It was disgusting. And so, uh, but there was all this, and something startled him, and he knocked his Bible into this latrine, this hole that we had dug. Of course, all of us were from America. Everybody's got 10 Bibles on their shelves. It's like, uh, you know, well, don't worry about it. The pastor of this church in this village spoke English. The missionary was in the process of translating the scriptures into this village's language, but they didn't really have a written Bible anywhere. And so the pastor asked if he could have that Bible. We're like, it's all yours, you know. And I watched a man go knee deep into human waste, grab a Bible and clean it off so that he could have a copy of the word of God. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Someone sent me a video this week. It's a minute long. Um, I want to show it to you. It's a, it's a small video of an underground church in China. Church, we have brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ in other countries that can't gather like this. Like some of you are going to get frustrated on the way out because the line's too long to leave, Right? We have brothers and sisters in Christ, and when they gather for corporate worship, they put their lives on the line. So this is a, a video, one-minute video, of some brothers and sisters in Christ in an underground church in China receiving a copy of the Word of God for the first time. Watch this.
probably wouldn't be an appropriate time to ask for a show of hands how many read your Bibles this week, right? I mean, we're pretty apathetic to what we carry around with us and have on our iPhones and our iPods and whatever all the time. Every week I say, hey, well, there's a copy of God's Word, a chair in front of you. If you don't own a copy, take it with you. We want you to read a copy of God's Word. Why would they act like that? Um, one of the founders of Princeton was a theologian. And by the way, a lot of our great institutions that are now incredibly liberal and incredibly against the word of God were founded by Christian men and women. <laughs> I read some quotes this week of the founder of Harvard and how much he trusted God's word. It's incredible. But one of the, one of the great theologians on Princeton staff back when it was an uh, institution that believed in God's word was once asked, you know, you've done a lot of theological training. If you could th- sum up your theology in one line, what, w- what would be the most impactful thing you could say? He thought for a minute. He said, what I would like to say is this. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. You know, that's putting a lot of trust in this thing we call the Bible. You know, you, you all got up this morning. Some of you had to wrestle with your kids. You had an argument with your spouse to get here. But you got here, and you got here. Why? Because you wanted to hear some teaching about the Bible. I mean, you went through a lot this morning because of this thing called the Bible. I mean, at the end of the day, you boil Christianity down far enough. We have to answer because the Bible tells me so, Right? So to the, more, the reason this, this sermon is so important this morning, the reason I fear that some of you will check out and maybe not do a little more legwork to your questions is, is my fear is you don't understand this is the cornerstone of who we are and what we believe and the person that the Bible lifts up is the person and work of Jesus Christ. And the only reason we have a good understanding of that is because the Bible tells us so. That's our answer. You may say, well, that's not a very satisfying answer. Well, my hope today is to change some of your thinking and to help you understand that what your faith rests in is well-documented, is true, and is divine. That's what I hope you'll understand leaving here this morning. What you're, if, you're, if you're sitting here and you have a copy of the Word of God in your lap, you, you have an incredibly reliable resource. It's a love letter from the God of the universe. It's an incredible document you hold. Uh, and... After the service, we're going to do our We Are Coastal class. And in our We Are Coastal class, we, we go over eight essentials that are really essential to what this church is built on, why it exists and where we're going and why we're going there. The first essential is what we believe about the Bible. And this is what it says in We Are Coastal class. It says the Bible is God's word to us. It's what God, has says, what, God, what God has to say to mankind. It was given to us by God through human authors under the supernatural guidance of the Holy Spirit and is absolutely true and trustworthy. It is our only standard of faith and practice as a guide for our lives. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 is the verse we refer to. The Bible says this. Timothy said, Paul says, to Tim, writing to Timothy, says, All Scripture is what? What's that word? Inspired. The word inspired in the original language literally means to be God-breathed. It's what the Bible assumes upon itself. All scripture is inspired by God. It is useful to teach us a couple things. What? To teach us what is what? True. Church, you live in a culture that tells you that truth is not knowable, or either it's not knowable, or it's up to each individual to determine what is true for yourself. Negative on that, okay? Not a good philosophy of life. Paul says, is God breathed? 
to teach us what is true, to realize what is wrong in our lives. I hate to tell some of you this. There's some things that some of the behaviors in your life that you're behaving on and acting on this week are wrong. How do I know? For the Bible tells me so. That's how I know. Paul says, able to teach us what is wrong and corrects us when we're, uh, corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. I'm going to use a word throughout the sermon, okay? The word is authority. That's going to be the word all the way down the sermon. The word is authority. We live in a culture that doesn't want authority. We want to determine what is right and wrong for ourselves. We want to live by our own standards, and we want to be an authority in and of ourselves, okay? So let's talk about first the authority of the Scriptures. First of all, the authority of the Bible, the Bible assumes its own authority. So let's be really clear. There's no chapter and verse I'm going to go to and say, here's where the Bible defends its own authority. It never does that. It assumes that it's an authority unto itself. And by the way, in the court of law, when a witness gives up and gives a story or gives a testimony, the burden of proof falls on someone else to disprove the authority or the testimony that that person's given, right? Is that clear? And so the Bible is an assumed authority. And for thousands of years, people have tried to disprove it. The problem is it's rooted in history and it's rooted in truth. It has stood the test of time of its own assumed authority. And people have not been able to prove otherwise. This book has stood the test of time. That should be encouraging to you. As a follower of Jesus, that should be encouraging you. We're we're sitting here holding these documents that are thousands of years old and and it stood the test of time because it's rooted in truth and it's rooted in history. Here's the second thing. I want to talk about the authority of the Old Testament and I want to talk about Jesus' authority over the Old Testament. All right? I wish I'd phrased this one a little bit better, but this is Jesus' authority. Now, um, in any class, history class, uh, from the college level, high school level, post-college level, whatever... Any history professor worth their salt will recognize that there was a guy that walked planet Earth who was Jesus of Nazareth. So there's almost no dispute that there's a guy by the name of Jesus of Nazareth that walked planet Earth, okay? But Jesus, if you follow his teaching, he recognized throughout his teaching the authority of the Old Testament. He never does anything but affirm the Old Testament as from God himself. God breathed the authority of the Old Testament. In Jesus' teaching, he, 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 is, he affirms the truth, the historicity, and the authority of the Old Testament. Okay, so I don't spend a lot of time this morning on the Old Testament because, you know, for, it, Jesus is a figure that has affirmed the authority of the Old Testament. Jesus referred to Abel, Cain and Abel, Noah, the flood, Abraham, Sodom and Gomorrah, David, the Psalms, Jonah and Elijah as historical figures, as facts and truths, which actually happened and truths on which we can build our lives, okay? Jesus in John chapter 10 is defending his divinity, which is an interesting thing, right? He's telling people he's divine, he's the son of God, he's from eternity past, eternity future. He's the second person of the Trinity is what he's beginning to teach us in John chapter 10, which by the way, next week we're going to talk about the Trinity, another tough truth in the Bible, and why it's important to us and why we believe, okay? So, so he's defending the Trinity all through, I mean, he's defending his divinity all through John chapter 10. And this is how he finishes his argument in John chapter 10, verse 35. He says, and the scriptures, 
And by the way, let me pause here for a minute. I, I probably should introduce a little bit earlier. Usually when you read your New Testament and you read the word scriptures, usually it's referring to the Old Testament. Does that make sense? And so Jesus here is referring to the Old Testament. He says, and the scriptures cannot be what, church? Can't be broken, right? Can't be broken. He's affirming the authority of the Old Testament, and he's using it to defend his divinity. By the way, that's a quote of Psalm 82. Jesus was one time dealing with a a trick question. The Sadducees came to him, and and there was an Old Testament practice and principle that, that if a woman married a guy and he died, it was up to the next brother, the next younger brother, to marry that woman because in that culture, not like our culture, she would have a hard time finding work and providing for the family, things like that. So it was kind of this Old Testament principle. Okay, I don't want to bog down into that, but Jesus was once asked a trick question by the Sadducees. They said there was a woman, she got married to a brother, he died. Okay. And so the next brother marries her and then he died. The next brother marries her and he died. And this happened seven times. And so the Sadducees are trying to ask Jesus a trick question. She says, when, he, when she gets to heaven, who, which of the seven brothers will she be married to? Okay. Trick question. And this is Jesus' answer in Matthew 22. He says, then Jesus replied, your mistake is that you don't know the what church, the scriptures. All right. He's appealing to authority. And then he closely connects it to God himself. He says, you don't know the scriptures and you don't know what? What's next? The power of God, right? Jesus gives his weight to the authority of the Old Testament. Now let's transfer to the New Testament, okay? Because that's a lot of what we spend our time as a a New Testament church, a lot of how we built this church. Uh, So let's talk about New Testament authority. First of all, I want to talk to you about the trustworthiness of the Gospels, all right? The Gospels are this. They're Matthew, Mark, what? Luke and John, okay? So so what are the Gospels? The Gospels are four testaments or or four... um, perspectives of the life of Jesus Christ, okay? So, so for instance, tonight, I've, I've been told there's a really big football game on tonight. So uh, imagine that there's four of us after the football game. Uh, we're going to sit down and we're going to write accounts of the, of, the, um, of the perspective of this big football game. And, and some of us, you know, might have different takes on Richard Sherman, for instance, you know, and, and, and so we would, the key is we would all, we probably, we would all have a little different take on the game, but on the core things, it would be exactly alike. Like we would probably all agree on the score of the game at the end, right? I mean, you, your take would have to agree with that, or you wouldn't be writing a true account of what happened. Now we may have a take on who played better or whatever, but there'd be different things, but all the story would end with the same, okay? That's kind of a broad stroke of what the Gospels are, four different perspectives, and the authors had little different bents and little different takes and little different audiences, actually, of the Gospels, but they all tell the same story of the life of Jesus Christ, okay? And so that's what the Gospels are. Now, a lot of times people will argue, and for those of you sitting in some of these classes with these liberal professors, they're going to push you on, hey, you, how can you even know something that happened 2,000 years ago? Can't even know that. I mean, you weren't there, right? And, you know, and, and uh, did Jesus show up and talk to you? And there's a couple of you in here that look old enough maybe, but, you know, probably not, right? And so, you know, how can you even know something that happened 2,000 years ago, all right? That's a false argument. It's a straw man, if you want to call it that. 
The issue is not whether we can know something that happened thousands of years ago. That's not the issue. The issue is how close were the events recorded to the issue? So in other words, you know, what happens when, when we're 3,000 3, years removed from the life of Christ? Then the argument comes, well, we're 3,000 years removed. How can we know anything about the life of Christ 3,000 years removed? We can know because of the recorded event, how closely recorded the events were to the time of the events. Does that make sense? Am I making sense here? So let me give you one person in history and antiquity, okay? Alexander the Great. There's no one that disputes the historicity of Alexander the Great. There's no one that disputes, you know, how, what, a, what a great military leader he was, how vast his empire expanded. But did you know that we have no record of the events of Alexander the Great for 400 years after his life? No record. First recorded, any, that anybody records anything about Alexander the Great's life is 400 years removed, okay? No one disputes the historicity of Alexander the Great. Okay, so the issue is not how far away it happened, it's how close the events are recorded. With the life of Jesus, we have the recording of his life and the Gospels within 30 to 50 years. It's incredible. Now, if you know anything about history, you would know that's incredible. We... If you denied the historicity of the Gospels, you would, you'd have to deny everything we know about history, everything, because there's, there's nothing in history past that's as closely recorded as the Gospels. Now, this isn't the Gospels, but this is the Apostle Paul's take, okay? Now, I'm going to reference you to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, okay? And this is a real key passage for a lot of things, okay? But one of the things that it's a key passage on is the understanding of Christianity. In fact, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, if, there, if there's no resurrection of the dead, Christianity is a farce, is what he says. If, if, if the stories of the Gospels are not true, then everything we're doing, everything you're doing here this morning is a joke. You shouldn't have done it. You shouldn't give your time. You shouldn't give your talent. You shouldn't give your money. It's an illustration. Okay, so, uh, just kidding. And so, he says, everything hinges on the resurrection of Christ and the truth of the Gospels, is basically what he says, all right? And so, I want you to see what he says in 1 Corinthians 15 as he's building this case. He says, I passed on to you, verse 3, I passed on to you what was most important and what had to be passed and what has also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins just as the, what? Scriptures, he's referring to the Old Testament, all right? Probably. Just as the scriptures said, he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures have said, and he was seen by Peter and then by the 12. And after that, he was seen by more than how many church? 500 people, 500 of his followers at one time. By the way, this rules out that the followers of Jesus who saw the resurrected Christ had some kind of an illusion. All right, in this room right now, we don't have 500 people probably. We're probably in the near knocking around 400. If all of us saw something happen, we, there's no way it would be an illusion because there'd be somebody in here that disagreed with it, correct? All right, 500 people said I saw this. Now, 500 followers at one time, most of whom are what, church? Still alive. What's he doing? He's daring us. He's daring the readers of this letter to go ask some people. That's what he's doing. A couple weeks ago, I was driving in the office, and I was listening to two of uh, America's great theologians, Mike and Mike, in the morning. And um, <laughs> if you're not laughing, that means you don't listen to sports radio. So um, Mike and Mike in the morning were discussing... Um, 
this book that had come out by a very well-known sports agent, a guy by the name of Lee Steinberg. And Lee Steinberg put this book out called The Agent. And in this book, he made the claim, it's fascinating, he made the claim that he manipulated the draft uh, as an agent of the draft that Peyton Manning was in, okay? And that he manipulated in such a way, he kind of coerced one of the general managers of one of the teams to make sure that his client, Ryan Leaf, wouldn't be taken by the Indianapolis Colts, but rather the Indianapolis Colts were going to take Peyton Manning, and instead uh, he manipulated the draft in such a way that Ryan Leaf would then go to the San Diego Chargers. At the end of this, so Mike and Mike kind of went on this hunt the rest of the show, and they're trying to call these general managers and get the truth of the story, because that would be a fascinating story that an agent, a player agent, could influence one of the most storied drafts in NSL history, okay? So they were getting some of the eyewitnesses to this agent story on the phone, and Mike Golick said this, and I wrote this down because I was fascinated by it. My pastor had one on. He said, he said you come out with a book by a high-profile agent and tell stories with all the pertinent people of the story still around to refute it. Isn't that interesting? And that's interesting. My, my pastor, I went on, I'm like, bingo, that's what the apostle Paul's doing. He said this, the gospels are true, and there's 500 people that saw the resurrected Christ. If you don't believe them, ask them. It was kind of like Paul was quoting Mike Golick by saying, all the pertinent people of the story are still around to refute it. Isn't that fascinating? Luke was a doctor. Luke was educated. He was meticulous. He was careful, and he was clear. When he wrote the Gospel of Luke. By the way, Luke wrote to a guy by the name of Theophilus. He wrote the Gospel of Luke and he wrote Acts. Okay? Luke chapter 1. He's very, very clear. He says, Many people have set out to write the accounts of the events that have been fulfilled among us. They have used the eyewitness reports circulating from among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write a careful account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so that you can be certain of the what, church? Truth. He's not backing off this idea. And of everything that you've been taught, Luke dares his readers. Go ask the people I've interviewed. I've, I've interviewed eyewitnesses. This stuff's true. The, and I'll talk about the Apostle Paul's letters because much of the New Testament is around his letters. What about him? I mean, how, how do we know his words are scripture? How do we know we can base our lives off the Apostle Paul's teachings? Okay. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and one of the ways that, and again, it's a whole other side note that I don't have time to cover, but uh, the, the idea of apostleship, that the apostles are the ones that saw Christ face to face, and therefore they had the spiritual authority to write the scriptures, okay? And so, as you know, the Apostle Paul wasn't one of the original 12. And so, in 1 Corinthians 15, he briefly lays out why he's an apostle. And if you know his story, right, remember he's a persecutor of the church, and he's on a road to Damascus to go persecute another group of believers. Maybe like that little church that just got their Bibles we saw this morning, okay? And so he's on his way, and he gets blinded, and he, he gets he to spend some time blind. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we actually get a little insight about how he was caught up into the heavens, and he was instructed by the original Christ, uh, by the risen Christ, not the original Christ. He's original and arisen. And um, <clears throat> don't listen to anything I say. Just kidding. Okay, 1 Corinthians 15. 
He's laying out wise apostle. He says, then he was seen, meaning the risen Christ, by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I was born at the wrong time, I saw him also, for I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle uh, after the way I persecuted God's church. But whatever I am now, it is all because God has poured out a special favor on me. He's saying, I'm an apostle. Okay, he's claiming apostleship. Now, I want you to see 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, where he's writing to the church of Thessalonica. He says, therefore, we have never stopped thanking God that when you received his message from us, you didn't think of our words as what, church? Mere what? Human ideas. You accepted what we said at, as the very what? Word of God, which of course it what? It is. He never backs away. The authority of the scripture is self-assumed. Let's talk about the apostle Peter because the apostle Peter actually talks about some of Paul's words in 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 15. He says this, and remember our Lord's patience. Our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. Verse 16, speaking of some of these things in all of his letters, some of his comments are hard to understand. I love that line. I always think he must be talking about Romans 9 there, right? For those of you who went with that journey with us last summer, right? Some of his comments are hard to understand. And those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of what, church? Scriptures. Fascinating, right? Just to do with other parts of Scriptures. This will result in their destruction. By the way, are any of you finding this helpful? Man, I hope so. I hope as a follower of Jesus Christ, you're like, whoa, I'm not just, it's not just wistful thinking. Like this is building history and there were people around that could have discredited the stories and, and, and it's built. And, and in fact, not only could they, could they have discredited, they were dared to discredit it. By the way, did you know that the apostle Peter, when he, history tells us that when he was killed, he was crucified. And when he was crucified, he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my savior, Jesus Christ, please crucify me upside down. Church, you wouldn't take a lie to the grave as they're driving nails into your hands unless it was true. You saw the risen savior, unless you're willing to die for this stuff. I want to talk about, um, I want to talk about, uh, recognition of authority quickly, okay? Um, the, what, you know, what about the, the 66 books of the Bible, Genesis, Revelation, okay? What we call the canon, you know? The canon is not something that shoots cannonballs, okay? It's, the, the, it's uh, in this, in this refer, reference, it's the idea of a rule or a measuring stick, okay? The early church used certain criteria as a rule or a measuring stick, okay? Uh, in the, the back of your... Um, handout, I have a, a book listed there called Doctrine, okay? Now, it sounds really dry and boring. It's really not. It's actually a really readable book on some of the core doctrines of the scriptures. It's written by Mark Driscoll, a pretty well-known pastor, and, uh, and Gary Brashears, okay? And this is a really readable account, and they have a great chapter in here on the canon, okay? And I would really encourage you. That's why I listed these things. And by the way, last week, remember I talked about growing in maturity in Christ? And one of the things I challenge you with is as you grow in Christ, you need to become a reader, you know, some of you are like, I, I hate reading. Well, you need to grow past that, okay? There's, there's some important things that you need to be reading so that you can give an, a testimony out in the community of why you believe this stuff. By the way, if your testimony is just, well, it just works for me, how does that stand to hold water to the follower of the prophet Muhammad who says it works for me? 
Like you, your faith and your apologetic, your, your testimony has to be a little deeper than that. And you've got to equip yourselves, church. You know, so maybe sometimes we've got to turn off the remote, not at 630 tonight, but, you know, turn off the remote, you know, and, and do a little more reading, right, and be a little deeper. Church recognized the authority of the scriptures, okay? And, and what, what they did is they used some criteria it's laid out in that book, Doctrine, great, great resource, okay, about recognizing authority. I want you to hear this. As early as 367 A.D., all right, I want you to hear that, okay? Everybody knows what A.D. means, right? It's not after death, it's what? Anybody know? Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord, okay? So Jesus walked on earth for 33 years. 367 is probably 340 years after the life of Christ. There was an early church father by the name of Athanasius. Athanasius sent a letter to a friend that recognized the 27 books of the New Testament as Scripture. Remember what I talked about, the illustration I used about Alexander the Great? Alexander the Great walked on earth 400 years later. We finally have a record of his life, okay? Within four, within 30 to 50 years, we have recorded events of Jesus' life. And within 400, under 400 years... The local churches that were growing had recognized the authority of the New Testament as God-given. Isn't that incredible? I mean, this is incredible stuff. And by the way, if, as a historian, if we were to throw this out as not credible, you would have to throw out everything we know about history. History would be unknowable. That's how accurate this stuff is. It's incredible. Um, and so, you know, the early church recognized the authority of Scripture, It'd be like me saying, like, Sir Isaac, Newton, Sir Isaac Newton is known to have discovered gravity. Did he invent gravity? No, he didn't invent gravity. He discovered it. He measured it and how it worked. Okay, the early church measured it, went through some of the stuff we just went through, okay? Went through many letters that claimed to maybe be scripture, and they went through some of that, and they recognized the authority. J.I. Packer, who is a professor that uh, influenced me, and I would encourage you to read everything he's ever written, okay? Uh, this is what he said about truth. He said, authority belongs to truth and truth only, does that make sense? In other words, truth is an authority all on its own. How many of y'all have ever had two kids, two siblings, close in age, they're arguing, you get into the middle of the argument, and you realize their two different stories differ completely. Ever had that happen with your children? Right? And then what do you got to do? You got to start probing for the truth. And what happens is the truth becomes an authority unto its own. You don't even have to have the discipline. Once you get to the truth of the story, you realize who is right and who is wrong. Correct? That's what the early church did. They recognized the authority of the scriptures. And we rest on that because truth is an authority. It's the only thing that's its own authority is truth. All right? Now let's talk briefly about cultural authority. You live in a culture that has been heavily influenced by the Judeo-Christian ethic. All right? The freedoms that you enjoy today, sitting here in corporate worship, with the greatest frustration you have is the line getting out the door, okay, in the parking lot. The reason you enjoy that is because of the influence of the Bible on this culture, no doubt about it. Um, and when you zoom out and you take a big picture, the freedoms in and the blessings in cultures that have been influenced by the Bible can only be explained by the Bible's influence on that culture. Now, in most of the freedoms that, that have been birthed have been brought out either by a culture or usually an individual who has read something in the Bible and has been motivated to help transform the culture so that the truth would be known and the culture would be blessed because of the truth being known. By the way, what did Jesus say about the truth? Remember? You will know the truth and the truth will do what? It will set you free, right? So that would say if a culture is being built on a lie, 
okay, by a, maybe a religious influence that's built on a lie, what would be the result of being building on that lie? Bondage, right? By the way, as a, as a, a community we live in, as, as a culture, as we slide more and more away from the Bible. Does that make you nervous? Makes me a little nervous, yeah. Okay. Um, cultural freedom has been birthed out of an understanding of the truths of God's word. I would encourage us to think about this for a minute. Go to any culture where Hinduism or Buddhism or atheism or humanism or Islam is the dominant thought and see what kind of freedoms there are and see what kind of blessings there are in that culture. They don't exist. And especially if we're going to talk about what the Bible calls the least of these, you know, those with less physical strength, those with less financial resources, those who have disabilities, see how those are treated in those cultures where those ideas are dominant in that culture. I just got done reading a book. I keep saying I just got done. I actually have nine pages left. Okay. Um, it's on your resource list. I, man, I cannot stress this book enough. This is an incredible book called The Book That Made Your World. It's written by an um, Indian believer, not American Indian, but an Indian from India, okay? And he grew up in a Hindu culture. He became a follower of Jesus Christ, and he, he's articulate. He understands our culture, and he gives you a history lesson on how the Bible revolutionized the world that you live in. Education was birthed out of an understanding of the scriptures. Technology was birthed out of an understanding of the scriptures. Um, morality was birthed out of an understanding of scripture. Business practice and the way we do it was birthed out. It's just incredible. I would just really encourage you to read that book. I want to finish with a question here this morning because i got to wrap this up. Guys, I hope you know I'm praying with broad strokes. I hope you're encouraged this morning in your faith. I hope you're encouraged to read your Bible and get to know the person that the Bible lifts up, which is the person and work of Jesus Christ. Um, but I want to challenge you this morning with this. On whose authority are you going to live your life? On whose authority are you going to live your life? Because we all live under some authority. Some of you in this room are living under your authority. In other words, I'm just going to decide what is true. That's just kind of the culture we live in. You know, decide truth for yourself. It's an incredibly dangerous worldview. It's incredibly dangerous. Because here's what it means. If you are able to determine truth on your own, it means that you've been everywhere. It means you've seen enough of the expanding universe. In all your years of study, you've gathered plenty of information that you're smart enough, you're culturally astute enough, you're educated enough, emotionally stable enough, and experienced enough to determine truth for yourself. If that's who you are, if you're in this room and you're like, yes, I can determine truth on my own, I would like to go out to lunch with you and pick your brain, okay? That would be an awesome experience for me. Church, truth cannot be subjective to each individual. It's an incredibly dangerous place to be, and it's the world we're quickly going towards. When I was in seminary, I had a professor that said, truth cannot be both B and non-B at the same time. Anybody ever heard that? If you have, you're a nerd like me. Okay, here's what that means. There's got to be right and wrong, all right? 
I mean, let me ask you a question. This is one you'll all agree with, right? The 9-11 pilots, you know, the guys that hijacked the pilots and rammed these planes into some buildings, killing thousands of innocent people, were they right or were they wrong? They were wrong. Some of you hesitated. They were wrong. No question about it. How do you know? Let me push you a little further. How do you know? Because they... If truth is subjective, right, they believed that they were immediately ushered into heaven, into paradise, and they were going to be blessed for all eternity. How are you going to dispute that if it's up to each individual? Truth cannot be both be and non-be at the same time. Somebody in that story's got to be right and somebody's got to be wrong. You all just declared it wrong. How do you know? Last service, I had someone brave enough to yell out, well, because innocent people died, all right? Well, how do you know that's wrong, all right? I mean, who gets to determine that? Let's, get, let's maybe get a little more controversial, all right? That one's easy. All Americans are going to say that was wrong. How do you know pornography is wrong? I mean, am I hurting anybody? I'm just clicking around the internet. How do, how do we know that's wrong? Who, who gets to determine that? about cheating on my spouse? I mean, is that wrong? How, how do we know? Let's get a little more controversial. How, how about homosexuality? I mean, who gets to determine whether that is or isn't wrong, right? I mean, who gets to determine these things? If it's up to each individual, then people are just going to have different viewpoints, right? Church, God has to be knowable and truth has to be objective. It's got to be something we can look at and it's got to be objective truth. Because if it's subjective, then we, we live in a world of chaos. Does that make sense? Remember what the book of Judges said, the last verse in the book of Judges? Everybody ran around doing what was right in their own eyes. That's chaos. Truth cannot simply be up to you and to me. <laughs> Authority comes from the scriptures as true. I want you to see this, 2 Timothy 3.15. Paul's writing to young Timothy. He says, you've been taught the holy scriptures from your childhood and they have been given, they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting who? Jesus Christ. See that? You know what that sounds like? Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. All scripture Paul says it's inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip people to do his work. We'll finish with story and we'll close with prayer. The story is told of a, a young man that grew up in a Christian home. Went to church his whole life, went to youth group, um, parents, Christian family. Always invested the word of God in the heart of their son. His freshman year of college, he goes away to college, has a great time. His freshman year, he comes home. It's first Sunday morning, he's back at home with his parents. His parents go knock on the door about 9.30 in the morning. Say, hey, son, we got to get up. We got to go to church. He says, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm not going to church anymore. His parents are flabbergasted. They take a step out. What do, you, what do you mean you're not going to church anymore? Well, um, I had a religions class, and I took a philosophy class, and, and I now have some doubts. Some of y'all are experiencing that as parents, maybe, or some of you students are walking that journey right now, right? 
Well, the parents are mortified. They go to church. They're heartbroken. They grab the pastor. And they said, you've known our son since he was a kid. He doesn't want to go to church. I mean, could you, could you meet with our son this week? And, and they meet with, the pastor says, yeah, I'd be thrilled to meet with him. So he meets with his son that week and brings him in his office. And he's like, you know, I've known you for a long time. What's going on? He said, well, I'm having some doubts. You know, I had this religion class, philosophy class. I, I just am wondering if this, any of this is true. And so the pastor says, well, uh, I mean, I mean, have you gone to church since you went away to college? No, I haven't been attending church. And, well, how about the camp, campus ministry? I mean, there's some great campus ministries right there on the campus. Have you gone to any campus ministries? No, I, you know, I haven't really gone to any campus ministries. Well, what are some of your doubts? Well, he really couldn't articulate any. <laughs> and he threw a couple at him, and the pastor gave some very reasonable, well-thought-out points to his doubts. The pastor asked this boy, he says, has that helped you at all? He says, no, not really. I'm still having some doubts. Pastor leaned back in his chair, looked this young man square in the eyes. He said, who are you having sex with? And the young man blushed and acknowledged he'd been sleeping around on college campus. Why is that important? Because oftentimes the issue is really authority. The issue is really authority. I don't want other people to tell me when I, how and why. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. We don't, we don't like to bow a knee to authority. So we're going to be an authority in and of ourselves. And so I want to finish this morning by asking you this. Who is your authority? Really, this morning. The Word of God is powerful. When we, we bend a knee to the truth of the Scriptures, you will bend a knee to the person that the Scriptures lift up, and that's the person and work of Jesus Christ. And when you bend a knee to Jesus Christ, he will free you from bondage and he will put you on the path of truth. And the truth, church, will do what? Will set you free. Let's close our prayer. Heavenly Father, I know this has been a lot. I feel like we're drinking from fire hose this morning. Um, I pray for the believer in this room that needed encouragement this morning, that you would encourage your spiritual journey that we don't have faith in faith. We, 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 it's not wishful thinking. It's faith in truth. I pray for the one in this room this morning that is um, um, struggling. Maybe they have some doubts, God. I, um, if their doubts are really just so they can indulge their flesh and do what they want when they want to do it, God, you'd convict them of sin and realize to each his own is not a a valid worldview. It's, it's chaos. Um, and that you would grab their hearts and pull it back to bended knee to the authority of the scriptures. God, we want to thank you for the word of God. It is a precious gift, God. And I, I think about our Chinese brothers and sisters who receive their Bibles, God, and um, it convicts me of my apathy um, and how valuable so many people the value they place on maybe for the first time receiving a copy of the Word of God. As, as American Christians, God, I pray that you would grip us with truth, help us to bend a knee to the truth so that we would be holy and righteous and be on the path of truth that sets us free. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, I know I went a little long, but I really want to draw your attention to something on the back of your bulletin is something really important, okay? I'm going to show you a video. Um, this is our offering time this morning. If you're a guest with us, we're not after your money. This is one of the ways we worship God by giving back. 
Uh, we'd love to have a tear-off from you so we can send you a thank you card, okay? One of the things that we do with our offering at Coastal is we make sure that 10% of everything that comes in goes out to support our missions and our missionaries and the missions work that we do in the community across the nation and even globally. And so last year, uh, by December, we had, ta- we had given away about $90,000, and that wasn't quite 10%. That's when I'm t- it's time to go, and it, uh, it wasn't quite 10%. So, we, so in December, we were able to bless all of our missions organizations with an extra $40,000 that you all gave away. So, uh, and so on the back of the bulletin, uh, is we, uh, Robert did a great job. He called all our missions groups and found out some specific needs that they had, and we were able to meet very, very specific needs of these missions organizations. So that's all listed on, on the back of your bulletin. The video I'm about to show you is two missions that we do right here on site. One is our food ministry, and it's coupled with, um, over the holidays, there was a couple small groups that wanted to collect gifts for underprivileged children in the community and give them away. And this is one more plug for small groups. The two missions that you're about to see were birthed out of small groups group ministries. That's why this is so important, okay? When Christians get together, build community, really cool stuff happens. So, so thank you for your generosity. This is where this, a lot of this stuff goes, and your blessing to the community nationally and globally. Watch this. Sometimes I think, what will people say of me when I'm only just a memory? When I'm home where my soul belongs Was I loved But no one else would show up Was I Jesus to the least of us Was my worship more than just a song
as we'll have some people lined up along the front wearing purple shirts. If you want to talk more about what God's doing in your life or do you just want somebody to pray with, uh, I know they would love to uh, speak with you, love to pray with you. And with that said, don't forget to sign up for small groups. And if you would, uh, stand with us and we're going to go out singing.